0: Jenny, before we get underway, because we've got a little extra time, let's talk about salt shakers for a few moments. You guys, you and your husband Peter and your team, you've been functioning in helping Christian believers understand the issues that affect the church and the broader community now for more than 20 years. Uh, this is something that is just the passion of your life. Let me just ask you about that for a few moments because sometimes we don't get to hear the backstory. story, but, but you guys have been uh, toiling away for 20 years. It's been a, a labour of love in so many respects uh, and you've been able to tackle all of these issues over decades now That as they've unfolded.
1: Well, that's right. You look back and you sort of wonder sometimes. I think where where the years go, and um, you know, it's, it's coming up to 21 years in October this year that we actually formally launched salt shakers. And our original idea was to have just a one page little insert into our into our church newsletter once a month, and that was really what we planned to do. And um and that was came out of really. Work, We had actually opposed a gaming machine venue going into a shopping centre just near our church and one of the pastors came along and said, look, they're planning to do this, you know, we need to oppose this at the council level and a few of us got involved at that time. Uh, We actually then went on, once it was approved by council, we actually went... um, In fact, it wasn't approved by council, So but they they actually appealed to the VCAT, to the Administrative Tribunal... And so we actually then went to a hearing at VCAT, a hearing at the liquor Licensing Commission. We followed that through for a few years. And what we found is that a lot of people might hear the headlines they might hear that something's happening, but really don't know how to do something about that, how to go to a tribunal, um, what the next process is. People thought, well, once the council rejected it, that it was all going to be OK, but it actually went on for three years. And it was really at the end of that time that we felt, I really felt God sort of saying to us, look a lot of people in the church community don't know really what the main issues are that we're facing and they even if they do know they don't really know how to do something about it so that's really i guess the undermining underpinning of salt shakers is to actually help people themselves make a difference how to get the information to contact your mp how to find out how to do things and that's what we've done firstly with a journal and then when Peter retired uh, three and a half years ago, we actually decided not to continue with the journal, um, but just to do the email correspondence and to post things on our website, both under the issues and the things we send out each day um, and with a news update usually at the end of the week.
0: Well, just want to honour you because you do a fabulous job alerting Christian believers to the issues and importantly, as you say, there's another dimension to what you do because it's not just about alerting you to the issues and talking about them for the sake of talking about them but actually inspiring and motivating people to take action Because, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, growth in Christian activism and some of that is attributed to the work that you guys have done. So I just want to honour you on on that as we get things underway this hour because I want our listeners to be feeling free to contribute to our conversation. You might have a question for Jenny. You might have your own thoughts on some of the issues we'll talk about over this hour. Our talk back line open on 1-800-316-316. We are going to talk a bit about marriage today, but let's not kick off our conversation about marriage today, Jenny, because there's some other issues that are simmering away behind the scenes uh, that you've been monitoring along. Uh, Let me just bring you to your own backyard because we're speaking to you from Melbourne today. In Victoria, uh, one of the uh, abortion clinic exclusion zones coming to the fore, there's a a push to have exclusion zones from anyone who'd protest against abortion clinics. How's that unfolding in Victoria?
1: Well, prior to the last election, uh, one of the... Smaller, small, or the minor parties, uh, was campaigning. They promised as an election promises. that this was one of the things they'd do. And this is Fiona Patton of the Australian Sex Party. And just from the name, you can understand the sorts of things that she's been pushing. She was in favour of euthanasia earlier in the year, and that's gone off to an inquiry. Uh, Now what she's doing is has put in a private member's bill, and that would actually, if it was passed, would actually implement 150 metre exclusion zones. Now, she calls them safe access zones. And so what she's saying is that, you know, you shouldn't have people impeding women who are going to an abortion clinic to have an abortion. Um, The reality is, if you look at the people who are involved with this ministry called Helpers of God's Precious Infants, and for many years they've been outside this particular abortion clinic each morning, and basically praying, being reflective, they have a poster or so, Um, they don't impede the progress of the women. They will offer help and support, because often what they've found is that women who are going to have an abortion feel they need to do that because they haven't got anyone to support them. They're... Financially strapped, they feel as though they can't proceed with this pregnancy. And they've had a number of what they call turnarounds people who say, Yes, well, if I can get some support, or I don't want to go ahead with this, you know, I'd appreciate your help. So they've had that sort of success, but they're very prayerful, very considerate in the way they do that. So the problem with the bill is, you know, we have, um, you know, no impeding or besetting or harassing, but at the same time, no communicating with people who are. Proceeding into the abortion clinic, so they're they're really put on the same level with major fines or a year in jail.
0: And of course, the people who do these protests outside abortion clinics, yes, they are there as a presence. Uh, but uh, in my experience of knowing people who do this sort of uh, protest, uh, they're always peaceful, and there is always such. A gentleness and a compassion towards those mothers uh, who are walking into these abortion clinics. And uh, just one example, of course, of that is uh, Graham Preston, who you know. Uh, and uh, he's been in court and he's been jailed six times because of his protests out of outside abortion clinics. Uh, he's in the middle of all of that and there's court actions that are going on all the time.
1: Well, that's right, and certainly Graham's um, had, a, had an incredible witness outside of clinics in Queensland where he sort of lives, but, but re- more recently in Tasmania because when the Victorian law was passed, you know, really we see it as one of the worst abortion laws in the world. When it was passed in 2008, Tasmania followed suit and they went one step further and added this idea of an exclusion zone, and they have an exclusion zone of 150 metres as well. And so Graham has actually been down to Hobart and you know, stood outside the abortion clinics down there and been to, certainly now been to court and coming back to court uh, in October.
0: And of course there's listeners to this very program who have stood alongside Graham uh, on those uh, street corners on those footpaths and they themselves have been arrested uh, for doing so. So uh, is there a particular action that that you advise people to take when it comes to uh, these ideas Jenny or is it really uh, get out on the street and stand by these guys because they need that sort of support?
1: Well I think uh, there's there's a range of things we can do and of course for those who Feel they they should do that, then then going and supporting Graham or others on the street, um, even in places like in Queensland or Tasmania where it's lo- legal to do that. But but certainly, you know, in places where we can do that, um, Melbourne and other places, and usually during the forty days of um, there's a forty day uh, life uh, vigil where they actually have very particular focus during the, these forty days for life, um, where they organise for groups.
0: Let's come back. We'll. We'll try and get Jenny back on the line. Something's happened with that call. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. 2020, not sure what happened. Uh, We did drop out there on that telephone call. Jenny Stokes back with us, though. Jenny, uh, we have got you back, haven't we?
1: We have, Uh, Good.
0: (laughs) We were talking about... Uh, those exclusion zones uh, around abortion clinics, and we might come back to that and I would invite listeners if you 've got some comment to make uh, or a question to ask about that one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen and our talk back line is open let 's talk about some of the other issues. Another one of those issues that you 're monitoring along is the idea of uh, the war on drugs. And, of course, the ICE epidemic. Of course, there are concerns about those who want to legalise marijuana. A whole lot of contradictions in there. As we look at the drug issues, how do you make sense of what's going on?
1: Well, certainly we've been opposed to any legalisation of drugs. And in Victoria, many years ago, we actually campaigned against injecting rooms being implemented that the Labor government had said they didn't, they'd actually implement five injecting rooms if they got in. And uh, we actually managed in that in that Campaign to actually get them not not done. The Labor Party actually lost the, the election, and and we didn't get the injecting rooms. So and that was before Sydney did as well. So we've been involved in the drug issue for a long time, and we always see that it, what we need to do is have a harm elimination program, not a harm minimization program. Because often it's like, well, we'll get people off gradually, or you know, we'll give them. Your needle exchanges and other things to try and minimise harm and that's, that's important on one level but what we need to do is to try and get people off drugs to see that <clears throat> drug addiction is a huge problem for society and for the individual that we need to actually uh, educate and, and encourage young people not to do drugs in the first place. Often that's to, to, to mask a problem that they might have or they get involved in drugs because somebody offers it to them. But we need to actually be educating young people to not get started in it because once you do it's really hard to get off. And, and we see huge campaigns you know, for legalising marijuana and yet we know that there's a whole problem with psychosis, um, lots of mental health issues that actually come from that that really don't want to be talked about by those who are advocating for them to be legalised. But recently, as you mentioned with ice, there's been a huge epidemic of ice and there's quite a lot of um, serious concern about the damage that ice does to people. It's very addictive and the physical harm it does as well. So it's a little bit of, as you said, a contradiction in uh, seeing that this is now the big problem we've got to tackle, but you've still got people calling for cannabis to be legalised.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, the attitude that you can see in the media when it comes to drug issues because it's not unusual to be watching any sort of, uh, you know, light Uh, news content type programs and uh, in one sentence they'll be uh, they'll be concerned about this ice epidemic and the next thing they're laughing about you know people using marijuana and those sorts of things there's a real contradiction in the way that people uh, in media particularly do talk about issues of drugs it's such a serious issue uh, but there's all this sort of sniggering uh, and, uh, and, and laughing behind the scenes about drug taking.
1: Well, I think that's right, and I, I think you also see it in some of the legalised drugs as well. So we've got quite a change in society and their attitude to to smoking, so that you've got um, smoking is almost, you know, like not very acceptable at all. Um, there seems to be quite a lot of support for some of the restrictions on smoking in public places and, and so on. But at the same time, there's also huge damage done with alcohol, and yet alcohol is still promoted as being almost a, a social ritual, if you like, that everybody sees that drinking alcohol is, you know, a part of being, um, you know, sociable.
0: Well, this is interesting for Christians because there does seem to be quite a divide even within the Christian community about the use of alcohol. There are those who take a sort of a holiness position on alcohol uh, because of their uh, Christian convictions and they say, I'm going to say no to alcohol and then there are those who have a, a lighter conviction about that and and, uh, and believe that alcohol is quite acceptable. And of course, uh, once it's acceptable, it goes from... Uh, from uh, from bad to worse and then all of a sudden you've got this sort of out of control way. What do you say about alcohol? I know this is a ticklish sort of a question and there might be listeners who'll call in and and contribute but when you're a Christian what ought to be a good position on the use of alcohol?
1: Well, I because we were very involved in the drug issue, we actually started to see some of the connections between those and perhaps some of the contradictions that, you know, this drug's okay and that one's not, and and why are some drugs legal and why are some drugs illegal? And, uh, you know, that that led to a very interesting conversation. And actually when our son was a teenager, we came to to a conviction that if you're actually sort of saying, look, this is a biblical view on some of these things, and that part of it is actually setting an example, whatever people think about, you know what the Bible says or doesn't say about drinking alcohol. It's the example that we give to others, and I think there is certainly a sense, and I would have seen that when I was a, you know, in my twenties, that if, before, um, you know, at university, and that, that it is actually, um, I guess, it removes inhibitions, um, and that can be a danger in in social contexts, um, and so on. So we see there's a lot more um, sexual promiscuity when alcohol is involved and people lose the ability to sort of reject or resist that Um, and and when our son was a teenager we felt that that was an example that we needed to say look um, you know we can't tell you to not smoke or not do this or not do that if if we were drinking alcohol so we came to a personal decision that, that that was an example and a witness and that drinking alcohol really didn't sit with a really consistent Christian witness especially in light of the things that we do and say.
0: It's it's as though there's a legalistic way you could approach alcohol, and uh, and that's not always useful, but there is a social responsibility. I think that's what you're saying, that uh, you, everyone gets to a point where you have to make some sort of a decision as to whether it's socially responsible to continue to do what you do and set the example that you do.
1: Well, I think that's right. It's that social responsibility, but it's also that um, that conscience of... of, of saying that this is the way we should behave and I think there's an element of holiness and I think the church has lost in many cases and it's not just on this issue uh, we often get the you know even from very well-meaning evangelical pastors we've often heard the um, God is love, the law, we don't have the law anymore. And, you know, I think when you go down that track, it's like, as you said, we go from what might have been legalistic, you know, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't dance, you can't do all these other things. And I think when we say those things to our young people or to the Christian community in general, we actually always need to give the context, we need to say why that's the case. But, as you said, sometimes that legalistic approach doesn't work. So what we have is... You know, there's this approach and this, but, you know, on balance, you know, is this the right example, the right witness to others about being a Christian? Um, and I think that's, that's an important thing. That's certainly where we came to. And, uh, you know, we've certainly been pleased that we did, we followed that line because I think, you know, when you're saying, you know, you can't do this, but you can do that, I think, you know, you've got to be very careful of how you approach it.
0: That's right, and and I'm super conservative too when it comes to the issue of alcohol, and I've decided not to be a person who consumes alcohol apart from if I'm toasting a bride and a groom at a wedding. And uh, that's the uh, that's the exclusion that I have there with, uh, with alcohol consumption. But, uh, Jenny, there might be listeners who'd like to contribute to our conversation today. You might have your own thoughts. You might have a question to ask. You might object to some of the things you hear. Well, 1 800 316 316, if you'd like to be part of our conversation today, what are your thoughts on abortion clinic exclusion zones or on some of these uh, perhaps contradictory positions on drugs? and alcohol and marijuana and given that there is a dangerous ice epidemic you might have your own thoughts on that uh, there's other issues too Jenny and we are going to talk about marriage in just a short while but let me just ask you there's uh, there's been some level of breakthrough with Hilton hotels uh, there doing something good, setting some good example, uh, withdrawing pornography from their on-demand services in hotels. Uh, Your thoughts on Hilton Hotels?
1: Well, I think that's a really good... Uh, move forward and to to see one of the major hotel chains pulling out of that. Some of the others have already done that. Um, It's interesting that there's been been a campaign that's been run by a group that was called Morality in Media that some of your listeners may have heard of. And earlier this year, they changed their name to the National Center for Sexual Exploitation in America. And part of that focus is that um, they're concerned about tra- trafficking of people, particularly children and so on, for sexual uh, matters and so on. But certainly in their morality and media role, and they actually had another little slogan called Porn Harms, and they actually saw that the, there was a connection between pornography and then violence towards uh, women and children and others, that they saw that, that pornography was an incredibly important link in that, and that they wanted to try and limit the exposure of young people. People in particular to pornography. And so what they had was a campaign to target some of the big hotel chains that that have, you know, you know pay TV or online TV in the rooms and some of those had pornography channels or they had a pay-per-view on pornography films. And so there's been a campaign to get some of these major uh, hotels and so on actually not to have them in their rooms. And I heard a very personal story from an MP here in Victoria recently where uh, she was with family, with her husband, and, and there was a pornography film on the, the bill And she questioned it and it turned out that he'd actually been watching pornography when she was out of the room. And so even between a married couple, that can be a problem. Um, But it's particularly a problem when children are with them and they're perhaps left in the room while the parents go off and do something and they've got free access to pornography in the rooms. And so this decision by Hilton this week has been a really good thing to see that all Hilton hotels will not have on-demand view pornography on TV screens in guest rooms. So
2: that, that's a really good thing.
0: And some might uh, cynically say, well, it's so freely available online on a mobile device uh, that people might not be utilising that service in a hotel. And so, uh, but still, uh, kudos to Hilton Hotels are actually taking a lead there and perhaps other hotel chains will follow through. Uh, follow suit. Uh, Jenny Stokes from Saltshake is our guest this hour. You might have your own thoughts on some of the things we're talking about. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Our talkback line is open. Let's hear from Rosemary in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome back to 2020. Oh, hi, Neil. Rosemary, what are your thoughts on these things we're discussing today?
2: Um, I'm just thinking in my own Christian walk Um, I don't think it's so much about advising people or suggesting or anything. It's not a good idea to do drugs or perhaps you shouldn't be drinking or not a good idea to smoke. I I think if people can see others and themselves begin to understand the beauty of how wonderful Jesus is in prayer and through listening to a lot of different sorts, as many as possible, Christian music... You don't have the need or the the uh, anything. You don't want anything to do with gambling, uh, alcohol, tobacco, drugs or, or whatever because Jesus just is everything to you and you just... <laughs> It doesn't happen for you, if you can
0: see what I'm saying. Uh, Rosemary, what you're saying is that uh, people fill the needs in their life with a whole lot of different things that they hope will bring some level of fulfillment, but that doesn't necessarily work. Which are dangerous and will destroy them. Uh, Jenny Stokes, your thoughts on what Rosemary's sharing?
1: Well, I think that's part of it, Rosemary, and, and perhaps I think Neil touched on that by talking about the holiness aspect of that, that, that as we focus on Christ, as we're looking at you know what is you know, his best for us, that we're actually, and, and, and you spend time on that, that, that you actually aren't inclined to be doing some of these other things. But I think for our young people, for our young adults, there's there's an element that sort of perhaps not the sort of legalism that sort of says, you know, you can't do this, but to actually be explaining to our young people why sex outside of marriage is is damaging and harmful, uh, why you know, smoking, you know, is a problem. We've now got the medical evidence for that as well, of course. Um, and some of the problems with alcohol and, and to be encouraging them on that. But I think if we never say anything about it, then they're not actually even sort of saying, well, is this good or bad? They go to a hotel or, a, you know, a bar or something. I know years ago, some of the girls from the church I was attending were going to, in fact, they were going to a homosexual bar because they felt, oh, they weren't being harassed by the men that were there. And I think, well, you know, girls, go, Christian girls going to nightclubs and bars you know had some problems already let alone which type of one they went to but i think we had, we do need to be setting you know some example to them and not you know and certainly encouraging them to be in close relationship with christ and that you know will do that but i think we we do have a responsibility still to our young people to to talk about um, some of the dangers of these things and and what our witness is as a Christian as well.
0: It's Neil with you. 2020, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Talking through a bunch of issues this hour, you might have your own thoughts on abortion clinic exclusion zones or on the contradictory positions when it comes to issues like drugs and alcohol, marijuana, the ice epidemic. You might also have your own thoughts on the prevailing culture which either ignores or shuts down a Christian position on marriage and on free speech. Well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 our guest this hour, Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers. We are taking questions and comments. Uh, Jenny, let's hear from a listener, Jonathan, who's in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along to 2020.
2: Yes. Uh, according to what you are saying about drugs, and marijuana or alcohol... You know, anything that affects the brain,
1: it slows down the speed of the brain, and you don't think properly. And so as a Christian, as the Bible says, we should be sober, we should be vigilant, we should be people are less spiritually. And so if you are using alcohol or drugs or any other thing that affects your brain, you will not make a sound judgment. And this, on this sound judgment, you will affect your marriage also, because you will not, be, will not be the father or the mother who is responsible for the case. So it is really affecting marriage also, even in in relationship with husband and wife, it affects you also because you don't have some mind. So as a Christian, even though we know not find thou shalt not drink, but okay. there are many passages in the Bible that talk about we should be filled with the spirit, not with alcohol
0: and other things. Filled sure. with a different sort of a spirit, Jonathan, uh, the impairment to judgment is a significant issue. Jenny Stokes, your thoughts on what Jonathan is saying, and he's uh, directing his comments, of course, uh, to alcohol.
1: Well I think that's, that's a really good point and uh, one of the things we've actually mentioned from the Bible too is that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that what we put into our body has to reflect that we actually have the Holy Spirit within us and uh, that's, that's how we should be getting our inspiration and our, all of the other things in our life, not looking to uh, things that we know from the, the medical evidence, the scientific evidence do impair our brains and I think that, that's a really good point, so thank you.
0: Jonathan from Perth, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 You might have a question, you might have a comment. Uh, Jenny Stokes, let's come to this marriage issue because there's a lot of fringe issues that go around about what's going on with marriage, but uh, you've been monitoring this situation along. Where are we up to? Here we are on Thursday. It's been a significant week. Where are we up to with issues in the marriage debate as you see it?
1: Well, what's happened this week is that Warren Ench, the Liberal coalition member, um, has put forward his bill and had a second reading on that. Now, it's a private member's bill. Um, and so before um, they went on the winter break, it, it was said that Tony Abbott said, well, this should be a bill from the parliament, not just from Bill Shorten, who'd put up a bill. And so Warren Ench jumped in and said, well, I support same-sex marriage. I'll organise a little coalition of people across party lines to put forward a bill. And so he's put forward a bill, it's uh, been... Seconded or endorsed by uh, Terry Butler from the Labor Party, and it's also got some of the independent and cross-party members um, endorsing it as well. So somebody from the Greens, I think Adam Bandt, you've got an independent, so you've got various other people supporting this bill as well. And so it seemed to be, oh well, you know, cross-party lines, and that's exactly what they did during the ru 486 debate some years ago. There were four female uh, MPs sponsored that bill and put it forward, and it seems to think, well although people may have a conscience vote on it, it's still like, well, this is a cross-party line. So it's sort of modelled on that approach. So he's done his second reading speech. Um, It certainly won't come to a vote straight away. And because the coalition has not allowed a free vote on the issue, the party room voted that um, coalition MPs should stick to the party line on this, they still have what's called a conscience vote, which means that if you're a backbencher, you can vote on it, you can cross the floor with a conscience vote, and you won't be penalised But if you're a minister in the government or a parliamentary secretary, you're required to stick with party policy, which is now being confirmed as marriages between a man and a woman, at least until the next election. So that that party room decision is supposed to stay in place until the next election, when either a policy or something else would be announced before that.
0: Now, let's get your thoughts, Jenny Stokes, on a plebiscite or a referendum, which is the position that the coalition has taken as to what they'll do, as you say, uh, right up until the next election, but then the plan for a, a plebiscite or a referendum. Now, it's interesting that there are some Christian uh, groups who are active in uh, defending marriage who take a slightly different position to yours. There are some who are welcoming the idea of a plebiscite, and uh, but let me just uh, pick up on your position on this, uh, taking biblical positions again. You're actually opposing the idea of a plebiscite. Why, why would you be thinking that?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. Since I think we talked about this last week, Briefly, Neil, and I have had um, one of the listeners actually contact me to say, Well, you know, wouldn't it be better to have a referendum or a plebiscite, get it over, and uh, it'd be out of the way? And but I think probably based on the idea that they think that when it comes to the people in the ballot box, people will actually vote to uh, protect marriage to keep marriage between a man and a woman. Um, So, partly, I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be the outcome. And it depends on how the debate is run. It depends on what question is asked. So, some people have said to me, oh, well, if we had a question that that just confirmed that marriage was between a man and a woman... That would get a better result and it's like well that's not really what the debates about because that's what the co- you know constitution currently um allows or affirms so perhaps i'll just mention what happens with this this idea so george Brandis has ruled out a referendum this week he said there won't be a referendum even though some of the ministers were saying a referendum rather than a plebiscite so i just need to explain the difference briefly so a referendum is designed to make a change to the actual constitution and so it would be, do, you know, do we change this and this? And usually they're on matters of great significance. So it might be on the ref, uh, the Republic that we had a referendum on. It was perhaps about giving Aboriginal people citizenship. So all of those came because they weren't allowed under the, under the previous constitution and the constitution had to be changed in order to allow those to occur. Now, Section 51 of the constitution, what it says is that the Commonwealth, when they did the constitution, the states had these powers and they gave powers to the Commonwealth. And that says that the Commonwealth has the marriage power, the power to make rules about marriage. And that's what they did when they implemented the Marriage Act and when they changed the Marriage Act in 2004 to affirm that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's enacting their marriage power. Um, So what we have then is that uh, the High Court did a decision in December 2013 and they actually affirmed that the, the Parliament has the full power to make marriage laws. And they actually said that marriage, and this was what the... The Commonwealth actually objected to it, to and they actually said, well, marriage means what it meant in 1901 when the Constitution was written. And the High Court said, well, marriage has changed. It doesn't necessarily mean that anywhere, everywhere now. We've got same-sex marriage. In fact, we've actually got polygamy in some countries, and they affirmed that the Commonwealth has the full power to make marriage laws. So the Constitution doesn't need to be changed for the Commonwealth to make that. I think Joe Hockey at one point had said, well, maybe we could change it and define marriage there to only mean, to mean any two people or whatever. But certainly the legal people, I think, saying that a referendum is not appropriate. And as, as our Attorney General, George Brandis, is saying a referendum is not the way to go. Um, so then we come to the idea of a plebiscite. So a plebiscite is non-binding. So it's basically a huge opinion poll. Uh, it's non-binding. So part of the question is, is a plebiscite compulsory or not compulsory? Now, what happened in Ireland? It wasn't compulsory. We had somewhere between sixty and seventy percent of the people who could vote went and voted. A lot of people in the country didn't vote, so it was you know more of the the people in cities and urban people actually voted. So when you've got a non-compulsory vote, it changes the outcome of some of these things. So that's sometimes a concern.
0: It seems to me the way I hear politicians talking about this, even the Prime Minister, when he talks about a plebiscite beyond the next election, uh, that uh, that somehow rather having the plebiscite apart from a federal election uh, it puts it as a separate uh, way that people will actually, as you say, it's like a big opinion poll, uh, people would go to vote. Uh, it actually, according to what you're saying, probably would be a a better thing, to actually have it aligned with an election?
1: Well, that's one way to get it. I mean, of course, if Labor get in at the next election, they've promised to introduce um, a marriage bill within 100 days of getting electors. So the chances are that if Labor wins, it wouldn't be a plebiscite held. They'd just put it, bring in a bill. Um I think one of the other things, yeah, so actually putting it on at the same time, some people would be concerned that the debate about same-sex marriage from the yes side, the no side, and so on, um, would would consume the political <laughs> arena at the time, and I think that's certainly what um, Tony Abbott would be concerned about. Uh, he would want to neutralise it as an election issue. I think that's that's important. Um, so as I said, it depends on what the question is. We've already got, and I think we'll talk about it in a little while, about being, if you oppose... The recognition of same-sex marriage being called hateful and bigoted and and so on we've seen that on this week on q a with katie faust who was really called nasty names because she stood for traditional marriage and we get that targeting of people in the debate um i think one of the points um is that you look at the principle of the people deciding morality and we used to have that in the greek and roman systems where they had black stones and white stones and you'd vote yes or no as to what you wanted to do but If we ask the people what they want about same-sex marriage, then it really opens the door to having a referenda referenda on all sorts of issues, like what about abortion? What about euthanasia? What about some of these other moral issues? Um, and, And then it comes to the question of, well, what's our parliament there for? We say that we shouldn't be changing the moral laws at all. But, um, you know, if the people are deciding morality, that, that, that opens up a fairly interesting door that we have to really seriously think about.
0: Because um, we, we want to vote our federal MP into office because they are representing our position. And what you're saying is uh, if you just go to a referendum, you're actually doing away with uh, what we've decided is the best way to do democracy.
1: Well, I think that that's right. We have to look at what the Westminster democratic system is about, and that representative that we elect. And obviously, half the people, probably most times, aren't happy with all of the positions of that even their political party. So we're not always getting, you know, somebody who represents our particular views. But that's the way the democratic system has worked. And so, you know, asking the people to decide is, and of course, a plebiscite is non-binding. The parliament doesn't have to implement it, even if they choose not to, um, or even to put forward a bill. Um, having said that, and, and I know some people sort of said, "Well you know why were you did you have concerns about a plebiscite, and I think that's good to explore that." if the government decides that they're having a plebiscite, and that's what they seem to be deciding at the moment, then all of us who um, don't support same-sex marriage need to continue to be active, need to continue to put up arguments, need to continue to be in touch with our politicians, and also putting our views out in the public. So that might be talkback radio, it might be writing letters to the paper, and actually getting our view out to our friends, um, those around us, those in the media. And so that's incredibly important. So, so once a plebiscite is decided on, you know, the idea of whether we like a plebiscite or not is really immaterial and what we have to do is then say, okay, now we have to continue to stand and continue to put out our point of view and to spread that out there.
0: And it does appear to me that Christian people around the nation are becoming a little more organised and ready to take action when they are called on to take action. Coming back to this uh, plebiscite idea too, because uh, appreciating what you're saying, uh, because if there is a plebiscite and the, uh, the outcome is close and because it's non-binding, that means you haven't really advanced at all. So there needs to be a, a significant a percentage of people voting one way or the other.
1: Well, I think, I think that's right. And so the homosexual lobby that's, in, that's supporting the, home, the, the whole thing of uh, same-sex marriage, like the Australian Marriage Equality Group, um, they initially said, when this was first brought up a year or so back, they said, oh, we wouldn't want a referendum or a plebiscite. we just want a bill in Parliament. And one of the reasons was that, oh, the other side will say ha- hateful and nasty things. Well, we see that even if you say nice things, they still can call you hateful and nasty. Um, and so part of that is shutting down the debate. And that's really what we saw the other day on Q&A. And I've just sent out two articles posted on our website. And it's actually by non-Christians saying this debate on same-sex marriage is intolerant. It's often violent and vicious. Um, and it's because the other side just don't want to hear the side that's supporting traditional marriage. And Brendan O'Neill, who's he calls himself an atheistic libertarian. He was on Q&A the other night, and he was supporting Katie Faust, who is a, uh, a Christian. She's a supporter of traditional marriage between a man and a woman. And she speaks from experience because she was raised by two lesbian women and, um, you know, really regrets that she never really knew her father. And so she's speaking from her experience, but she's also looked at the evidence and, and so on and said, well, we don't want to go down the track of same of same-sex marriage. Uh, She was called hateful by a Labor senator, Sam Dastyari. She was talking about Christian Claptrap um, for her views. Uh, She mentioned the scientific research about parenting and uh, Richard DiNatale of the Greens called her it rubbish and nonsense and kept interrupting her with that sort of thing. And so Brendan O'Neill has defended her in that and sort of said, look, we can't even have a civilised debate because the other side just throw this sort of name-calling. And today in the Courier-Mail we have... uh, Jane Fines Clinton, who's a journalist, a journalist lecturer, and she's actually bemoaning the idea of social media uh, being used to stir up this sort of criticism and criticism of anybody who holds a traditional view that's actually been in place for a long time. And I think both of those articles really show from really from an outsider's perspective, what we can expect by speaking up. And it's really a call, I think, to the other side, those who are promoting same-sex marriage, to actually have a reasoned debate um, and to the media for actually being more balanced. And we actually saw that in Media Watch where Paul Barry actually said, this is incredibly one-sided, the side that support traditional marriage are not getting reported fairly by the media, and he supports same-sex marriage. So that was an interesting development. So maybe people are calling these these advocates for same-sex marriage to account.
0: And in some sense some are saying that on Monday night on Q&A, finally the debate got started because there were people who were able to articulate a reasonable position on uh, marriage between a man and a woman who were actually on the program and so there's a sense in which uh, while some are saying, we've been debating this forever no, that hasn't been the case that means one side's been put but the other side's been shut down. Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, we'll come back and continue our conversation in just a few moments. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Great to have an extended opportunity today to hear the heartbeat of Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers. We've been talking through a bunch of issues and uh, most recently talking through these issues on marriage and free speech, the shutting down of Uh, the side of the marriage debate that uh, argues for marriage between one man and one woman. Jenny Stokes, if you're talking about being a Christian in this day and age, some are saying that there's a whole sexual revolution that's going on. We're in the middle of it. Uh, We don't want to be blinded by that, uh, but we don't want to be fearful of it either. How do you say Christians ought to be conducting themselves as we see these things unfolding in our nation?
1: Well, I think the first thing, Neil, is that we all we do need to be, you know, concerned about our faith. So, you know, the gospel is about bringing transformation of people, and bringing people to Christ, and understanding how we fit into, you know, God's big scheme of things from creation right through to eternal life. And I think, you know, that's part of our story. Um, unfortunately, at the same time, we do need to say, well, the whole gospel needs to be preached. And uh, today, I think we're getting the a lot of the God is love and he is, but we're getting God's love and we shouldn't be actually telling people how they should live their lives. You know, that's for God to transform us, for Christ to transform us. Um, But as I said before, I think what we need to do is we actually need to be saying, look, this is what we're expected to do. This is what God actually says. This is what Paul's saying in this letter um, about being transformed. And, you know, I don't think it comes just from, you know, deciding what we're gonna do. We have to actually understand what the big picture of of the word is. Um, about how we live our lives. So I think that's part of it.
0: There's some more too, and let's just take another call. Ruth is in Queensland. Hello, Ruth. What's your thoughts on our topic today?
2: Yes, I totally agree with um, the speaker that,
1: yes, we are losing our rights day by day, and the Word of God does warn us that Satan has got great wrath, seeing his time is short. We're not fighting against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And yes, I completely agree that even in the house of the Lord, even in church, I feel it's getting more and more that people are living in sin
2: in the church. And of course, when they're just coming in and they're just getting... To know the Lord, of course we've got to show the love. We've got to we've got to be different. We've got to be salt and light, and we've got to show the love of God. But Ruth, yes,
0: I don't want to cut you God. short here, but I will have to cut you short. Great points that Ruth is making. Your thoughts, just quickly, Jenny. Uh, we've been warned. Uh, this is not something that Christians are taken by surprise in. We are warned that these things will happen.
1: Well, that, that's exactly right, and I think and I think uh, the point about we we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and to to realize that this is a spiritual battle so in all of the things we do uh, whether it's fighting the issues whether it's you know living our Christian life being a witness to others we actually have to hang on to that to understand the spiritual nature of that and of course prayer is part of that we always ask people to pray we put out a prayer focus once a month and ask people to really commit these matters to prayer and just to really discern what God wants us to do and to stand firm for him. So that's that's incredibly important.
0: So, Jenny, we're not fearful. There's another thing we need to do, and that is keep informed of the issues because if you're not informed, then you're really taking a position of ignorance and just letting the world go by and hoping it'll all be all right in the end. But uh, you do need to keep informed.
1: Well, that's right, and there's lots of groups that are doing that. Uh, we put out um, a number of news email news on the particular issues of the day and so that's important to keep up with that Um, but we also put out a news update which sort of summarises the news of the week. Um, We've got the article to go to in the end but I sort of might read six or seven articles and then just summarise it um, in a a paragraph or two and so if you want to keep up to date with the summary of the news we do that as well all available by email but most of them are posted on our website and uh, we've got Facebook as well so yes keep up to
0: date through that as well. Uh, let's talk about your website briefly because not only is the prominence of the current issues there on the front page every time you go to the Salt Shakers website at saltshakers.org.au but you've also got an archive of, of issues that you've tackled in the past, of uh, big challenges that the nation has faced when it comes to a lot of ethical uh, issues. Uh, that archive there is really quite a useful resource.
1: Well, that's right. So we've got all, this, all the articles we post, uh, information we've put, the news updates all stay there. So they go back um, many years. Um, it makes it a fairly big website, but you don't have to read those. You start with the, the most recent ones. And we've also got an issue section on a whole range of the issues Um some of them are more up to date than others. I must admit, Neil, because uh, yeah, since Peter retired, it's sort of me, and that's sort of like this. This could sort of like multiply and fill many hours and many jobs, I suspect. But um, we do have articles on the issues. We update those as we can. Uh, we've got a detailed section on how to contact MPs with links to the parliaments and the MP details for the state and federal. Uh, So there's lots of information. If you want to complain about a TV program, there's a section there where the links are straight there that you can click through to who to contact. So lots of information as well to enable you to... Jenny, I'll I'll
0: give the website. It's saltshakers.org.au. That's saltshakers.org.au. Jenny Stokes, always good getting your insights and thanks so much for taking time to be with us again today here on 2020.
1: Great to be on, Neil.